You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you at Bayshore this morning. I'm Pastor Danny, if you're new here. And I'm just so glad that you're with us today. The band did a great job today. It was incredible. We had a great time of worship. And I want to say hello to our Femic Island fans, our, our family there. Just give our Femic Island fans and family a big hand. We love you guys. So glad you're here with us right now. And wanted to mention to you, every Monday morning at 8 o'clock, we have prayer here. So any prayer requests that you submit, there's a little card in your uh, uh, chair in front of you. If you have a prayer request, put it in there. We'll pray tomorrow morning for you. And if you ever want to come join us, 8 o'clock on Monday mornings, we're praying here. But we're so glad that you're a part of today's service. We're in a series called Christmas Songs, and we're looking at the different uh, songs of Christmas uh, I think music is one of the key parts that makes Christmas so special. You take the music out, there's so much missing in Christmas. I heard of an atheist once said a thing he really missed about Christianity was the Christmas carols. Uh, you know, Christmas carols are so incredible. The words are so inspiring. But even more inspiring than the words are the stories behind the songs. Last week we talked about Silent Night. If you missed that message, it's a great message about, you know, what happens when Plan B comes into place. And a lot of us go through life planning on plan A, but plan B comes about. Um, today, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Not an easy song to sing. We're going to sing it at the end of today's service. It's not the easiest song to sing, but the words are incredible, and it's just really an incredible story behind the song. Uh, let me read a little bit of the lyrics to you. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What a great song. It was written not too far from here, about an hour and a half drive from here to Philadelphia. It was written by a guy by the name of Phillips Brooks that uh, wrote the song in 1868. So when you think about a little town of Bethlehem, it wasn't written in uh, Austria like Silent Night. It was written right in our region. It came right from uh, a guy by the name of Phillips Brooks. Now, Phillips Brooks was a really big guy, big guy. He was 6'4", weighs 300, weighed 300 pounds, uh, really, really uh, uh, big presence when he came into the room. But what's interesting about him, he graduated from Harvard in 1855, and when he graduated from Harvard in 1855, what he wanted to do is he wanted to teach Latin to high school kids. Uh, he loved Latin, and he was very good at it, so he began to teach Latin to high school kids, and he just failed miserably. Didn't work out. Kids weren't interested. I guess he had trouble communicating because he was so brilliant. You know, sometimes brilliant people aren't the best teachers, you know, and so he had a hard time communicating, and so he kind of gave up that career. You know, sometimes you start a career and it doesn't work out. I'm playing tennis right now with a lawyer. I'm playing regularly with this guy that is the primary lawyer, the, the key lawyer for BB Hospital, and great guy named Bruce. We started playing tennis about two months ago, and he was telling me he was trained as an engineer and uh, he went to become an engineer. Getting an engineering degree is not easy. One of the hardest degrees you can get, 
But he said, I started working as an engineer, and I wasn't a very good engineer. He said, I was not a good engineer. So the company he worked for sent him to uh, business school. He got his MBA at William Mary, and so he began to run the business. And then he decided that, hey, why don't I just become a lawyer? And so he went to Georgetown University full-time, worked full-time, and got his law degree and practiced in Connecticut. And BB Hospital discovered him uh, and helping them with some of their needs. And now he's on staff as their only lawyer. So uh, it's sometimes we start a career that doesn't work out, and that's what happened to Phyllis Brooks. Phyllis Brooks started this career as a, as a teacher, and he just did, it didn't work out for him. So he went to seminary, went to Episcopal Seminary in 1859 and got through Episcopal Seminary. And then in 1861, he became the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 1861, the pastor of uh, Holy Trinity Church in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, what's happening in 1861? If you know your history at all, 1861 is when the Civil War started. So he begins his pastorate when the Civil War was going on. Now, the thing about Phyllis Brooks, he was a terrible Latin teacher, but he was an amazing preacher. He was such a good preacher that thousands of people began to come to the church. This big uh, six-foot-four, 300-pound man, brilliant man, Harvard graduate, uh, was a great, great preacher. And people just from all over the city flocked to hear Phyllis Brooks and he had great success as a pastor. So much success that when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in April of 1865 on Good Friday, Good Friday, he was assassinated on Good Friday. Interesting story in and of itself. The kind of the emancipator was, was uh, executed on Good Friday. But he was, Phyllis Brooks was such a famous pastor, not only in Philadelphia, but through America, that when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, who would they call upon? to preach the funeral of Abraham Lincoln, but Phillips Brooks. So the guy that wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem was the same person who spoke and preached Abraham Lincoln's funeral. And he's only not just barely 30 years old at this point. Young, prodigy, brilliant guy. So this is a very significant guy. But in 1861, as he begins to pastor the church, lots of people are coming, and every single week... Every single week, more and more people are coming to church dressed in black. And the reason they're dressed in black is because they've lost a husband in the Civil War. They've lost a brother. They've lost a cousin. They've lost a father. And as he looks out over his congregation uh, week after week in 1861, 1862, 1863, 1864, 1865, more and more people are dressed in black and they are depressed and they're sad. And Phyllis Brooks, this gifted preacher, stands up every week trying to encourage them and people are so discouraged. Now, the encourager, Phyllis Brooks, is getting discouraged himself. And finally, finally, the war is over. The war is over, and everybody is so relieved that the war is over. Appomattox Courthouse, you know, Robert E. Lee surrenders, and the war is over, and people feel a sense of relief. But it's two or three weeks later that in Ford Theater in Washington, D.C., Abraham Lincoln is assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. So the country that's beginning to hope again is 
spiraled back down into the sorrow of death. And so that's what's happening when Phyllis Brooks uh, is living in his times, and he's going through a hard time. These are dark times he's living through. These are hard times he's living through. These are not easy times, and he's trying to preach and lead the people through it. And when he finally stood up to do Abraham Lincoln's funeral, he was overcome with all of the pressure of years and years and years of death and darkness and sadness. And when he preached that funeral, he was completely spent. And he did a sabbatical. The church gave him a sabbatical. So he he left Philadelphia and went to the Middle East. In uh, December 24th, 1865, he finds himself in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's filled with tourists. And he's thinking, you know, he's still trying to overcome all the depression that he's actually in himself. And he gets a horse. Somebody gives him a horse. And begins to ride that horse through the hills around Jerusalem. And he goes down. Bethlehem's about seven miles away. And he rides that horse through the hills that King David once walked upon. That Jesus and the apostles once walked upon. And he rides that horse and he gets to Shepherd's Field just outside of Bethlehem. Now we know if you've ever been to Israel, you've been to Bethlehem. You can't always go to Bethlehem because of the politics. When I went to Israel, I was able to go to Bethlehem. Uh, There was kind of a break in the tension there. And you can go to Shepherd's Field where those shepherds were on the first Christmas. They know where that was. And what's significant about it, it's so close to Bethlehem. It's not like the shepherds had to take a you know, bus to get there. It's just, it's just a stone's throw away into the city. And he, he's on his horse in shepherd's field. And he has an incredible experience with the Lord. He said later that it was like the spirit of the first Christmas came upon him. And a song began to come in his heart that he began to feel the encouragement of the Lord. And he said that the spirit of that first Christmas rekindled his spirit that had been so depressed. He goes into Bethlehem, and there's a five-hour service at the Church of Holy Nativity where people are singing and they're worshiping. And this burnt-out preacher, this emotionally exhausted preacher, finds encouragement from the Lord. And he comes back to Philadelphia, and he tries to explain the experience he's had. He tries to explain that God is still alive. He tries to explain that God is still on the throne. He tries to explain that although he was depressed, although he was discouraged, that the Spirit of the Lord had lifted him up. And finally, in 1868, three years later, uh, coming up to Christmas, he's able to pen these words that capture that moment. And O little town of Bethlehem is about a man... That was depressed, a man that was discouraged, a man that was covered and surrounded by death and darkness who found life and encouragement again. And I love this song because it really is about the reality of Christmas. The reality of Christmas is Christmas doesn't wash away all the trouble in the world. Christmas does not wash away the sorrow in everybody's heart. Christmas is about people in Philadelphia back during the Civil War that they spent the Christmas of 1861, the Christmas of 1862, the Christmas of 1863, 64, and 65, knowing that they had just lost a loved one. And it was their first Christmas without that loved one. So Christmas is 
is, it really happens in the real world in real time. And I don't know about you, but I want Christmas to be perfect. I want Christmas to be, you know, no sorrow, no sadness. But so many times Christmas intersects with the darkness and sadness of life. That's just what happens. I was watching this uh, last week, uh, the National Lampoon uh, Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation. I know there's some inappropriate things in that movie, but I watch it every year. I like Cousin Eddie showing up. I like, you know, Uncle Lewis burning down the Christmas tree, and they bring the new Christmas tree in. It has a squirrel in it. Squirrel's loose in the house. I love Chevy Chase, you know, uh, Clark Griswold, you know, stapling his glove to the house as he's trying to put the Christmas light. He's trying to have the perfect Christmas. He wants the perfect Christmas. He wants everything to be perfect. And I'm wired that way. I want Christmas to be perfect. I don't want anything bad to happen at Christmas. I want Christmas to be this kind of protected season where nothing bad happens. But that's not Christmas. Christmas is not a protected season. Christmas is a real event that happens in real life and time. Last year... uh, my friend Sammy Fisher in Tyler, Texas, he's, a, he's like the best father to his kids, the best grandfather. And there's nobody that loves his kids and grandkids any more than my friend Sammy Fisher. I just pale in comparison. He's such a great father, great granddad. But on Christmas last year, he got COVID a few days before. So on Christmas Day, wanting to be with his family, wanting to spend time with them, he's standing at the glass door on the side of his house as his family rides by and waves at him. That's Christmas. That's what happens at Christmas. I remember one year when our kids were little, we were so pumped up about Christmas. We were going to have this perfect Christmas for our kids, and everything was going to be great. And, you know, when you have kids, Christmas is just so magical sometimes. And I remember we were so excited about Christmas, but on Christmas Day, Tim got pneumonia. And on Christmas Day, we were in the emergency room, and Nenecoke Hospital in Seaford spent the whole day of Christmas, or most of the day of Christmas, big part of the day, in the emergency room. Let me ask you a question. How many have ever had any sick kids on Christmas Day? Raise your hand. Have you ever had sick kids on Christmas Day? That happens to us. You want Christmas to be perfect, but it's not. Christmas is this event that happens in real time, in real life. And it just doesn't happen on a micro scale. It happens on a macro scale. December 21st, 1988, there was a uh, Pan Am 103 airplane flying over Lockerbie, Scotland. If you remember that, there, they reached 30,000 feet, and there was a bomb on board that was put there by Libyan terrorists, and that total plane exploded. And it covered, the debris covered an uh, 850 square miles uh, area. 200, uh, uh, it was 270 people were killed. 11 people were killed on the ground because of the debris that were hit by the debris. So that's a lot of people. 270 people, four days, four days before Christmas. Four days before Christmas. A little closer in time, 2004, 
26th of December, there was a tsunami that hit the uh, Indonesia area. There was a 9.1 Richter scale measurement uh, uh, earthquake that occurred in the Indian Ocean. And listen to this. In a matter of hours, 230,000 people were killed. The day after Christmas. You see, Christmas is uh, an event that happens in the real world. And that's the world that we live in. We live in a fallen world, and Jesus came into this fallen world because there is suffering, there is death, there is what Phyllis Brooks experienced as he preached through the Civil War. That's part of the reality of Christmas. Hardest funeral I ever did as a young pastor hardest funeral i've done i don't know if i could say hundreds i've probably done hundreds of funerals the hardest funeral i did was four days before christmas where a young mother had an accident and was killed and i had to go to the hospital or had to go to the home with the state police to tell her husband that his beloved wife had just been killed and i stood there funeral home decorated in christmas array standing there speaking to that situation You know, when you think about Christmas, I think we think that the biblical story of Christmas is a story without any wrinkles, without any trouble, without any problems, that it's this beautiful, you know, almost mythical story. If you read the Gospel of Luke, it's so wonderful. It's such a beautiful story. You've got, you've got the violins playing. You've got Mary in the manger. You've got, you know, Joseph with the, with the donkey. Everything is so beautiful in the story of Luke. If you come to church and most any church on Christmas Eve or Christmas time, you're going to hear them preach out of Luke. They're going to preach out of the preach out the gospel of Luke, but there's another gospel that has the Christmas story as well. It's Matthew's version. Matthew talks about the wise men coming and Herod the Great becoming insanely jealous and sending his henchmen, his henchmen to go into Bethlehem and to kill all the baby boys that are two years old or younger. That's in the Christmas story. And some people say, you know, skeptics sometimes say, well, uh, that probably didn't happen because it's nowhere else corroborated in history other than the Bible. But we do know this about Herod. He's very capable of that kind of stuff. There's no doubt he did that. Herod the Great killed his favorite wife and he killed his two uh, sons that he was threatened by. And Caesar Augustus said, you know, better to be Herod's hog than to be his son. So that's in the Christmas story. And so when I think about Christmas and when I think about O Little Town of Bethlehem, the reason I love that song and when I sing that song, it's about someone that's going through a hard time. It's about someone that got emotionally exhausted because of the trouble in his life. It's about someone that got so discouraged that that this pastor who was anointed by God to preach the word of God, this pastor got depressed. I don't know if You know this, but people at Christmas struggle with depression. People at Christmas struggle with depression. Uh, Henry Cloud Cloud says about 15% of the American population struggles with depression on an ongoing basis. During COVID, it went to 40%. And during Christmas, it really goes up because I don't know why, but sometimes Christmas makes us feel sad because of the things that we seem to be missing in life. But when I think about the song, 
of the little town of Bethlehem and I think about the story of Phyllis Brooks, it encouraged me because it shows me and it teaches me that when I am overcome with life, and some of you have been overcome with life this year. Some of you have been overcome with some situations in life that you couldn't control. Some of you have experienced the loss of a loved one this year. Some of you have experienced some darkness this year. In fact, this time of year, we just had the winter solstice, what was in December 21st, where it's the shortest day of the sun. And, and you know, how many long for a little sunshine sometime in the wintertime? They get tired of it being so dark all the time. Wow, I do. I like the sunshine. But, you know, I went to Florida last year, had a little break, went to Florida, you know, in the middle of the winter, just there for a week or two or whatever. But I didn't appreciate the spring as much, you know, because I had that little break. You know, I just like to stay in Delaware the whole time. It's cold and dark. And then when spring comes, it's amazing. How about that? (laughs) But here's what this story teaches us. It teaches us, first of all, that when you're overcome with the darkness of the world. Philip Brooks wrote this in the song, that in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. When he wrote that phrase, he is summarizing what he had walked through during the Civil War. He's summarizing what the people in his congregation had experienced during the Civil War. I think he's describing what you and I experienced when we went through COVID, that time of darkness, that time of isolation. Someone recently coined the the phrase, the friendship recession. Since the COVID epidemic, we've been scattered, separated from each other. And let me tell you something, we need each other more than ever. We need to come back together. We need to be united together because we need each other. Can you say a big amen? And aren't you glad that we're meeting together in person? And look at all these people here today and all the people we have in Femic Island and all the people we have in the Rehoboth campus today where the church is coming back together and we need to be together as people. Can you say a rousing amen? Amen. But he said, In thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. Let me read a scripture to you out of Isaiah. Isaiah 40, one of my favorite passages in, in the Old Testament. Isaiah says this, and see if you can relate to these words by Isaiah. Isaiah said, verse 40, verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 28 through 31, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord isn't the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He will not grow tired or weary. I went to a little Bible college that was uh, charismatic, Pentecostal Bible college, and I was a married student when I was there, but I, I wasn't in the dorm, but I was told the story about in the boys' dorm one night, they were having a prayer meeting, and one boy felt like he had a prophecy for the group, and he said this, he said, thus saith the Lord, I know you're tired, sometimes I get tired too. Now, that's absolute heresy. I don't know if they took that boy out in stony, but they could have. They should have. You know, that's heresy. How many know God never gets tired? God never gets weary. God never gets emotionally exhausted. God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the supernatural, all-powerful God. He's never weary. He says in verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Say that with me. The Lord is the everlasting God. 
the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Listen to verse 31. Just take this in. But those who hope in the Lord, the King James says, those that wait on the Lord, the NL, uh, NLT, the living Translate, New Living Translations, those that trust in the Lord, those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When Phillips Brooks went on that little horseback ride on Christmas Eve, 1865, he was weary, he was tired. And as he rode along those hills toward Bethlehem, and as he sat upon that horse in Shepherd's Field, as he waited upon the Lord, he trusted in the Lord, he was reaching out to the Lord again. He needed to be renewed, he needed to be refreshed, he needed to be built up by the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. And as he was waiting on the Lord... All of a sudden, his strength was renewed. His emotional exhaustion gave away to the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord filled him. And I'm here to tell you this Christmas, the Lord wants to fill you with his joy. Even though you may be emotionally exhausted, the Lord has refreshment for his people. God wants to refresh you. God wants to encourage you. God wants to lift you up out of your darkness. They will soar. They will soar. It's not like, you know, a little sparrow trying to beat in the air with his wings. An eagle just extends his wings in trust and lets the thermal air lift him up into the heavens. So on Christmas, we just, you know, instead of laboring and trying to do all this, we just need to get our wings out and let the presence of the Lord lift us up. Our uh, family, we've got this uh, for my granddaughter Willow. When she was real little, I got her one Christmas. I got her a little pink car that uh, I put together. It's run by a little battery thing. And and Willow, uh, you know, she was a little temperamental as a little kid. And I got her this. I was so excited. Christmas Day, she came over with the family, and we gave her this thing. And she was scared to death of it. It made a little noise, and she would cry. And she never used it. She just never used this little car. But all the other grandkids, including the grand boys, all rode in this little pink car all the time. And they had a big time in it. Now, our, our current grandson, our youngest, is Jack Pierce. Jack uh, gets in the car. He just loves the car. He likes to go in the grass. And I say, Jack, it's made for the asphalt. Don't get in the grass. You're going to run the battery down. But he just, you know, he just scoots around. But the great thing about that, that little car, it's got this battery in it. This battery... You know, when the kids are, you know, scooting around, going in the grass, the battery wears down. And it won't go anymore. It just shuts down. And Jack says, hey, Papa, why car? I want the car to go. I said, Jack, we got we to gotta plug the battery in. And we plug the battery in, and we plug it into the wall. In about two hours, this battery is completely charged up again. And when you think about people that are living in our times, you're, you're going through all this stuff, 
You've got all this activity in your life. You've got all this responsibility. You've got all these problems. I talked to a lady uh, the other day, or actually a man the other day, uh, that said, you know, hey, we're the sandwich generation. They're about my age. And the sandwich generation is you're taking care of grandkids and you're taking care of your aged parents at the same time. And then you've got your life in the middle of that. And, you know, that's just, that's exhausting. Some of you are raising Little children, you got little children that are in school. How many got kids that are school age? Just raise your hand. You're in that age category. I was preaching out in Rehoboth the other day, and I was talking about uh, how, you know, it's good for young men to get married and buy a minivan and, and uh, you know, be responsible. And I saw Andy Mason come in. He used to work for us here. Andy had, he had two or three kids, and he's walking in, got up his, got up his minivans. He's got all these bags on him. He's carrying all these stuff for the kids. And I could just see Andy, you know, he's faithfully coming to church with all those kids. I'm, I just said, man, that's so great. You're coming to church, even though you'd be easier stay home. You know, thank God for young parents that, you know, you know, they, some people, young parents tell me, oh, we're not going to go to church too much trouble. Listen, we all did that. We brought our kids. How many remember the days when the kids sat in church with you? Do you remember that? I mean, they're like in church with you. That's where it was when I was a kid. But you know, raising kids is exhausting. Or when you have some big, big disappointments in life, those big disappointments drain your battery. And you know what happens? Sometimes it drains your battery to the point you just shut down. You can't go anymore. You just cannot go anymore. But the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord, they that plug into the Lord, he will renew their strength and they will mount up on wings. They'll run and not be weary anymore. I've been there You've been there. I've been to the point at times in my life where I was just so exhausted emotionally, just so exhausted physically, so exhausted mentally that you just have to like, you can't go anymore. How many have ever been to that point? You just can't go anymore. It's draining. That's where Phyllis Brooks was. And when you wait upon the Lord, he renews your strength. You'll mount up on wings like eagles. You'll run and not grow weary. Phyllis Brooks says, the spirit of the Lord came on me. And as a song started ringing in my heart that keeps ringing to this day. God can help emotionally exhausted people. How about this Christmas? We're doing good. We got all our presents wrapped. Karen wrapped 100% of them. I didn't wrap any of them. Uh, I bought one thing, and it's a good Christmas for me. But, you know, hey, listen, sometimes you get so weary Christmas time. How about, how about this? How about this year? How about this year you get up early, have the coffee ready, Nobody's up. Turn the Christmas tree on. Sit there with your coffee. Set your coffee on the, the end table. And lift your hands before the Lord. And ask the Lord to fill you with his presence. Ask the Lord to renew your strength. Ask the Lord to do for you what he did for Phillips Brooks. You know, the Bible says this in the book of Psalms. The Bible says, be still 
and know that I'm God. I think it's Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I'm Lord. Now, if you want to fill a cup with somebody, you know, if, you, if somebody wants some uh, more iced tea at your house or whatever, and, and you got the pitcher, you know, have you ever tried to fill the iced tea in somebody's cup when they're running around, moving the cup around like that? I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're trying to get that. And of course, that never happens. But that's how we want the Lord to fill us. We're moving around all the time. We're all active. We're doing all this stuff. But the Bible says, be still. Be still. Phillips Brooks got away from Philadelphia, got away from his responsibility, got away from all the stresses he was under, and he got in a quiet countryside. He got still. When we get still, when we get, we cease our activity, God, we know that he's God. We know that he's God. We know that he's Lord, the Lord. And so this Christmas, I'm just challenging you this simple, simple thing. This simple thing is to get still and let God renew you. And here's what I feel as your pastor. I feel like the Lord is saying to us this Sunday that this Christmas, God wants to renew us spiritually. God wants to renew us spiritually. He wants to take our emotional exhaustion away, and he wants to fill us with joy, the joy of the season, regardless of who you've lost this year, regardless of what you've gone through, regardless of how dark it seems. God wants to renew you and restore you this year. Can you say a big amen? If you want the Lord to do that for you, just lift your hand right now and say, Lord, I want that from you this year. One last thing I want to say. Uh, this, this story teaches us that God can restore the emotional exhausted, exhausted. And here's the other thing that we need to think about. In order to move forward in life, we need to accept the unexplainable. Accept the unexplainable. I was raised in theology that said, listen, if you just pray enough and you just read your Bible enough, you can figure it all out and you will have an answer to everything. And every time something bad happens, you can figure it out and you can figure out scripture for it. Let me tell you something. That is not true. There's some things in life that you are just, you just can't wrap your mind around. I think Phyllis Brooks, when he was preaching in the Civil War, I think as he looked at those people dressed in black week after week after week, I think he couldn't figure out why would God let this happen. I think he struggled with that. And here's what I've discovered in life. There are answers for sure, and there are things the Lord explains to us, but there are some things we walk through in life, some people we lose in life, some things we walk through that we cannot explain. So we need to accept the unexplainable. Listen to this verse, Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, the word wonderful there in the Hebrew, it is really the word difficult. I do not concern myself with things too difficult for me. 
There's some things in life you cannot wrap your head around and you have to say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't see this. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I am going to trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I do not concern myself with things too difficult for me. And I've come to my, my journey in the Lord. As I walk with the Lord, things I go through, things I see and all that, there's some things that I hit that I have to say, Lord, I'm not proud. I'm not haughty. I don't pretend that I have all the answers. Um, this is above my pay grade. I don't understand this. But I know that there's nothing that happens in my life that you don't understand and you don't have a purpose for. Say, that, say this with me. I do not concern myself with things too difficult for me. One more time. I do not concern myself with things too difficult for me. For me, that's provided incredible comfort to know that he is God and he is all-powerful. He's omniscient. I used to wear a t-shirt I told you about, one of my favorite t-shirts. I wore it till it just fell apart. I loved it. It had a it had a, a, a little thing on the front that says, two things I know, there is a God, and I am not him. And here's what Charles Spurgeon said. I've quoted this like a thousand times this year, so this is probably the last time for this year. He is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to make a mistake. I may not always be able to trace his hand. But I can always trust his heart. I've told this story a million times, and forgive me, this is a rerun of reruns. I've told this story so much, but you've heard it. But I love the story. I just want to tell it, so I love the story. So my, I, this French acrobat by the name of Charles Blondin, who went to the Niagara Falls on a regular basis. He came from France, and it was early 1900s, and he would stretch a wire out across the Niagara Falls from the U.S. side to the Canadian side, and he would, hundreds of people would gather to watch him do his, his, his tricks on the, on the wire, and he would, he would carry things across the wire. He carried table across. He would carry different things across, and, uh, you know, he even had a way he could set a chair down and sit on the, on the wire somehow, and people would cheer for him, and he would say, how many believe I can do this? And they would cheer, we know you can do it, Charles, we know we can do it. And one of his most famous thing was pushing a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, and he would get on the American side, and there would be hundreds of people gathered, and, and he would say, how many of you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across to the other side. And they all said, Charles, we know you're amazing. You can do it. You can do it. And so we pushed the wheelbarrow all the way across the Canadian side, and he would come back, and then he would say to the crowd, how many of you believe I can push one of you in the wheelbarrow across to the other side? There was no cheering then. Everybody's looking down. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's saying a thing. They're putting their coats on, and they're leaving. We have a great theology that God can do anything. But our theology is weak when it comes to our lives. That God can get us through anything. He can take us through anything. He can take an Episcopalian pastor that's depressed through the Civil War. 
he can take a person that's emotionally exhausted and restore them to life. He can encourage the most discouraged person. I've been there. I've been in the nadir point. I've been in the valley. I've been in a place of darkness. And the Spirit of the Lord has lifted me up. He's given me joy. He's given me a song. And if you're down, doesn't mean you're going to stay down because the Lord has an amazing way to renew you and calls you to run and not grow weary and to soar on the wings of an eagle. That's the Lord. I want you to lift your hands to the Lord like mighty wings of an eagle. And we want to pray for the Holy Spirit to lift you up this Christmas to encourage you. I don't know what crazy stuff is happening in your life, but your Christmas is like all Christmases. It's in reality. It's in reality. Don't look for a magical wand to make Christmas perfect. It's just in the real world. Father, we pray for the Spirit of the Lord to fill myself, to fill all of us. This year, we thank you that this is going to be a year where we're going to soar like eagles because the presence of the Lord is going to restore us and refresh us. I pray for the emotionally exhausted. I pray for depressed people right now that have been depressed for weeks just anticipating Christmas, just anticipating what's wrong with this year's Christmas. And I pray that your spirit would lift them up the way you did Phillips Brooks years ago. We thank you that you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us, and you're with us today. And we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.